Talking Like Normal People is brought to you by MyCastingFile.com. MyCastingFile, the place for talent to get their start. All right. Welcome to Talking Like Normal People, a show dedicated to talking about acting, casting, and auditions, and probably some other things, too, with people who love it. I am your host, Ryan Glorioso, casting director based in New Orleans, Louisiana. We're back for some new episodes. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners uh, and subscribers. Please help us out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Podbean, and now we're on Stitcher. Did you guys know we're on Stitcher? Wow. That's a big one. That's exciting. Right? It is. You know how we got on Stitcher? I uh, an actor came into audition and I um, and he was like, I wish your podcast was on. He didn't talk like that. I wish your podcast was. I'm just gonna. I'm doing my rendition was on Stitcher so that I could listen to all my podcasts in the same spot. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I just googled it and was able to add it to it. You're so resourceful. Man. I know. All right, postcard of the week comes from Heather Hyatt. HeatherHyatt.com. And uh, it's not spelled like the hotel, I don't think. It's H-I-A-T-T dot com. She's got two pictures, nice clean pictures on her a commercial. Great uh, yeah, great headshots, right? And then the back, hi, Ryan, I just want to thank you for bringing me to audition for 13 reasons so many times. I absolutely love auditioning for you. You guys are so efficient and make the process fun and easy. And I appreciate your trust in me as well. Here's to a season four. Best Heather Hyatt. That's lovely. That's nice, right? Yeah. So that's from the uh, the Northern California contingency. Contingency. Shout out to right. NoCal. I'm gonna I'm gonna save that one since <clears throat> it's the first episode. Well, why don't we of... swoop down to Southern California with our guest this week? Yeah, our guest this week. <laughs> oh, look at that. <laughs> well, our guest this week is a New Orleans native who now calls Los Angeles home. She's a seasoned actor with film and TV credits dating back to. 2010 with roots in the theater she's also a singer songwriter and she's had significant roles in features like django unchained the hateful eight and lee daniels the butler with an ever-growing list of film and tv credits this is a talent on the rise and someone any casting director could be confident and sending to set please welcome the fabulous dana gorier oh my god is that what it sounded like in the Superdome when you sang the national anthem? <laughs> yeah, nuts. Yeah. Jump into the questions already, Robert. <laughs> well, that's what we're here for, right? It was absolutely. I do want to hear about the 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 uh, national anthem singing in the Superdome. That that seems like harrowing. An all, har, yes, harrowing. What did that feel like? Of all your experiences, you've you've done some really big roles with big, huge actors. How sure. did that feel in comparison? Um, honestly. It was the largest group of souls I'd ever performed in front of. So it was about 80,000 people. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dome televised? Was packed. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, we played the Cardinals that day. And it was um, literally a harrowing experience leading up to the moment. How do you, so, how do you get a gig like that? Well, actually. Uh, so my bestie, Tamika, is one of the directors for the Sensations. And her cousin, Jared, are also, also my very good friend, was head of entertainment and apparently lee daniels butler lee daniels the butler was playing at uh, a party where drew Brees was um as well as rita um benson his daughter right his it's no he, no or Who's, his wife his, 
Not Rita. <laughs> Who's Rita? I don't know. I'm I'm losing Google. it. Whoever the None daughter is. This is an acting podcast. By the way, that sounds horrible. I just made myself sound real crazy. I apologize. We, we we'll figure it out in a second. I'm blanking. You're just having your coffee. But right, I'm just waking up, guys. Forgive me. Um, neither here nor there. We were they were at this party and someone said, oh, I, uh, Jared said, I know her. And some folks at the party was like, oh, she's wonderful. And he, he was like, oh, and she's a great singer. And she was like, oh, we have to have her. Like, let's get her to sing the national anthem. And that's literally how it happened because they saw me in Lee Daniels that's, and Butler. Wow, that's which awesome. Which is kind of crazy. Yeah. That's a good story. It is. It's pretty cool. I found out three weeks before, though. And so to three weeks of nerves. Three Waking up every day <laughs> at like three in the morning. And I would wake up in like some strange, crazy panic attack. Did just, just sweating. Have, like, and stomach like, cramps. Freaking out. Yes. <laughs> My mom and my dad had to console me. They were like, it's okay. Oh I was God. legit freaking out. And then That's I was doing crazy things like running sprints and then belting the song. Because the first thing to go when you lose your breath is your voice. You know right. what I mean? If you have no breath control, you're not going to belt those notes. You're not going to be able to get anything out. So I was legit training like it was That's the Olympics. <laughs> I was like so wow. dedicated. That's really smart. That's I was really better. like literally... That, but it went well. You were fantastic. Thank you. It did go well. I appreciate that. The best part, though, is that my parents and my, my family, my whole family got passes and we got to hang out in the you know, fancy suites and my folks got to stand on the sideline with my brother. That's while cool. I, and it, here's a funny, really quick story. They were like escorting. I had a person, a point person on me and they were escorting me over to the um, color guard, the flag guard. And um, I literally was about to step step onto the 50 yard line onto the field and the, the 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 guard was walking and i was like oh wait not yet and i ran back to my family and i was like guys we didn't pray and we all bowed our heads and there's a picture of it somebody like snapped a picture of the huddle of us praying and my dad led us in a quick prayer and then the point person was like dana we have to go and i was like we said our quick prayer and then i ran and then i felt completely ready and then i belted the song and that was it nice yeah it was a really That's amazing awesome. experience one i will never do again <laughs> ever yeah you're like i've done it <laughs> all right so I know you, you know, for at least, what, eight, ten years almost. Mm -hmm. Um, I've known you, you know, from this world, from the film Mm -hmm. uh, auditions that you uh, have come to for me and jobs that you've booked through my office. Um, But I want to I want you to go back. Like, how did you get here? Where did you start? Where are you from? I know you're from New Orleans, but how Mm. did you get uh, to where you are now? Like, You can go back as far as you want. Oh, cool. Tell us about you and your world. That's thank you because I never get to go back a bit. But before I do, I do want to say one thing. In your introduction to me, you said um, she's the type of actor that every casting director feels confident sending her to set. That is like a huge compliment to me, and I want to say thank you. That's a big deal to me. I mean, like a lot of people don't know what it's like up there. They don't know what it's like to work. They think we memorize lines. This is not to impugn anybody's judgment on acting or actors. But um, I think a lot of times folks think we learn lines and then we get into wardrobe and then we get into hair and makeup and we go recite our lines. And it's to be a technically proficient actor um, or to feel like you are becoming one or to feel like you are finally rooting yourself and that people are recognizing it is a huge deal to me. Good. You know what I mean? So thank you. That means a lot to me. That meant a lot to me. You're very welcome. Thank you, doll. Um, eight years old. I was eight. I started dance classes. I got the sort of like experience with um, live audience. What, what part of New Orleans did you grow up in? I grew up in the East. 
Um, I went to Resurrection of Our Lord Elementary School, and then it's still there. And then I went to Ursuline Academy for high school. But I, I was 12, actually. You went to Ursuline? I did. What years Uptown. were you there? I was there from, why are you trying to get me to tell my I mean, age? Really well, right. I'm just kidding. I went to no. De La Salle. Oh, you and did? I just my wondered, bro- both of my brothers went to De La Salle. What, what years were they there? They're, my my older brother, um, oh, dang, I don't remember. My younger brother's six years younger than me. It, it, I was at Ursuline oh, from younger. like 90, I, I graduated in 97. Okay. So, and I'm proud of, I'm proud of the fact that I'm 39. I'm two months into 39. I don't look it. Just gets better. And I, better. you know what I mean. Well, what, I, I can't wait for forty to be honest. Like I'm like bring that. Bring I was it. the same way. Good for you. Bring it. Yeah, because there's like less care. There's less stress. I feel so grounded in who I am as a woman, a black woman, um, uh, a woman of color, just like a human being, a soul that has something to say, a voice. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't feel intimidated around people, and certainly not by LA much anymore. Good. You know, Good so you. I feel like approaching 40 is like settling that on in. You know what I mean? 40s are, 40s are great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. what I feel like. Go back. Yeah. So you're young, you're eight, you're taking eight, dance classes. Dance classes, first experience with a live audience um, and performance. And then it was, uh, I was 12 years old. I was 11 turning 12 this particular summer that my mom put me and my little brother in um, New Orleans theatrical Re- recreational group. It's excuse me, North theatrical group. So which is New Orleans recreational department, their theatrical group. Right? Gotcha. And the late Ty Tracy was the director and was the director for like several decades. Like he was, sure. you know, theater people in New Orleans know who yeah. Ty Tracy we've is. Had, we've had some mm-hmm. other guests on the show sure. who talked about Ty Tracy. Yeah. Ty Tracy is a legend here in this town. Yeah. And um, I did that one summer. We did Gershwin's uh, Strike Up the Band. I was a part of the chorus, and I'll never forget. I, I, it was my very first audition at like 11 years old. And I learned the song. I went to sing it. I started real high and confident. And then when I had to hit that high note, I cracked so bad. <laughs> and then like all the parents in the hallway like heard me and the other kids. And I just figured, oh, I won't get a part. Uh, I was super defeated. But then... I was a member of the chorus and there would begin a sort of um, life altering trajectory for myself. So I never felt more at home in the theater or with those types of kids. So when, when you, know you were I mean? auditioning for that play, mm-hmm. when you're singing the solo, did mm-hmm. you were you auditioning for something more specific? Yeah, specific, like a bigger role. No. And then uh, landed I, in the chorus? No, I wasn't. I, I literally we just found out like a couple of days before that they were holding auditions. Oh, got you. And it was singing auditions and my mom has always loved my voice. And I was always shy about singing, so she wanted me to kind of get my voice out of my body. I think and, I, yeah. my what I was going with that was I I think especially as a kid, uh, or someone just starting out landing in a chorus or an ensemble of a show like that where there are all, you know there's a big group of theater folks that you get to work really closely with every night at rehearsals and yeah. when it's such a good experience and uh kind of that that's what will, will give you the bug you know yeah, we'll, absolutely you know it's like oh i i, I get to hang out and like play with these people every absolutely night. and i feel like even more than that that's a huge part of it but the other big part is oh I understand you and you understand me. There's something special about weird theater actor kids that are just like extremely extroverted and a little misunderstood at school and a little odd at school. They don't really fit in with anyone. And I felt like at 11 turning 12, 
I found my people. And it's like, once you find your people, it's like, you don't want to let them go. Right. You know what I mean? And, and that would grow into what would become um, more theater over the years. Um, I was in um, theater classes over at Ursuline as well. I was in the speech classes. I had done a play my freshman year and was awarded the uh, Best Actress Award. Nice. It was just, you, you know, I was going for it. You, you, you know? had a theater department at Ursuline? We did. And then I got out of it. I think... There is something specific that happened, um, but also like adolescence and like the shift of teen years, you know, 15, 16 years old, your your perspective shifting a little bit. So I kind of got away, even though my heart always belonged in the theater. What, what were you into when you were 15, 16? I mean, did you I go w- through like a like a punk rock stage or like a, you know, I went through um, younger than that. I went through a tomboy phase badly. And I used to I in my brain. And this is, I don't want to get too into this because I don't, we're going to go way off, but this is important, I think, <laughs> to say. In my brain, I wanted to be a boy. Like, but I didn't want to be a boy. I love being a woman. I loved, I, I actually love men. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry, that's like, <laughs> put my business away out there. <laughs> but what I love. Tomorrow on TMZ. Right, right, right. What, what I, uh, what I, I think I was trying to effectively say as a child was that. I wanted to be a boy because of the freedoms my brothers had that I did not. Like, I'll never forget playing um, outside and my brother just took his shirt off and was playing around with his friends. And so I took my shirt off and my mama was like, oh, no, put your shirt on, Dana. And I was like, why? You know, and I I, I didn't understand at that age. Like, why was I? At 15? Be, no, no, no. This was oh, younger. This is okay. much younger. This is like younger than 11, actually. Why did I have to be different? So anyway, the point is I went through a tomboy phase where I was trying to just kind of understand myself, my own style, like who I was. I also have been overweight for the vast majority of my life, which was always something else to deal with. It was the main sort of insecurity, if you will. And so 16, 15, 16, turning into like those three years into 17, I lost a ton of weight. And then all of a sudden, boys were like, who's Dana? You know what I mean? It's like, I've always been here, but like, oh, you're interested? Okay. You know what I mean? So I got a little distracted. I got a little bit away from theater. Um, But like I said, my heart always belonged to it. Always, always. And so then I went to UNO to study psychology and ended up flunking out. Um, Not because I'm not a very intelligent individual and and can't, you know, uh, pursue higher education on my own or book reading, et cetera. I just was lazy and I was completely and totally void of interest. I had no interest whatsoever um, in being a therapist, even though I still love psychology. I love um, how the brain works. I love behavioral patterns. I love moods. Well, you know what I mean? It goes hand in hand. I with mean, me hand in hand. Actor. Come on. Yeah. You know, but um, I was flunking out of UNO and um, I had like a 0.75 GPA when it was all said and done. Nice. Yeah, it was bad, hon. It was like, it was bad. <laughs> and then I sat my parents down. I wrote them a long, very dramatic, heartfelt letter. And I sat them down at the kitchen table one night and I said, um, I want to study theater. I feel miserable. And I feel like if I don't do something, I'm going to die. I literally said that to him and I meant it. And I dug out my old acceptance letter from UL Lafayette, which was USL at the time. Do you feel like that I I don't want to diminish your feeling like you were going to die, but do you feel mm-hmm. like that was part of your dramatics uh, capabilities coming um, into play? 
No. No? Okay. I really felt desperate. Okay. I did. I really felt like I'm miserable and I don't know what to do. And now I'm flunking out of school and wasting money. Yeah. I don't know what to do. And so when I sat them down and I told them, I want to study theater and I want to go to USL. And here's my acceptance letter. I put it on the table. They I already called. They will still let me come in for spring semester of this year. Um, and I want to leave. And my mom looked at my dad. My dad looked at my mom and I said, they nodded and they were like, okay, okay. That's and awesome. the rest is history. The next semester I was on the Dean's List. I had a 375. Nice. And it wasn't just because it was like, oh, I'm taking theater electives. No, I had to take real stuff like physics and geology and history. And let me tell you what happened. Because I was stimulated and loving what I was doing, I wanted to learn more, Ryan. I mean, I was signing up for all kind of crazy stuff <laughs> like that I didn't have any business signing up for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was my my undergrad years were very um, useful. I really got my feet under me, taking a chance, taking Sweet. a risk. Yeah, yeah. And, and then and so then you have an MFA, right? Yes. Well? So I this is, I think, also important to say, because I'm really about making people understand it is not over. Like just because you might fail at something or it didn't happen the way you thought it, there's time. Um, so I applied for grad school when I graduated from ULL and because honestly, I did not know what to do. I was like, okay, I have a theater degree. I have a BFA. What do I do now? So I applied for grad school. I got in nowhere. It was bad. I was super destroyed. I was like, what am I going to do? And then I had a, a five week study program um, through Dillard University to go study method acting in New York. It's just a five week class program. And the fourth week I went to see um, Shakespeare in the Park with um, Public Theater. Um, it was Twelfth Night, Julia Stiles, Oliver Platt, Jimmy Schmitz. It was just fantastic. A fantastic. We waited in line for like four hours that day. Nice. And it was in July, so it was like hot. Um, in Central Park, waiting for tickets. We had outstanding tickets, and it was an experience that would just shift all my perspective. And on the walk to the ACE, I said, I'm not going home. So that five-week program turned into five years in New York City. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I didn't so know you lived in New York. I did. And I, it, a funny little anecdote or side note, if you will. Um, when I was at UL, the last two years of my degree, um, the last two years pursuing my degree, every single weekend I drove two hours back to New Orleans and two hours back to Lafayette on the weekends. And I would work two day shifts at Houston's on St. Charles Avenue. And I did this every single weekend for two years. And everybody would say, why are you doing this? Get a job in Lafayette. Why are you driving two hours every weekend? That's crazy. And I was like, I don't know. I just have to do it. Cause a lot of things in my life have happened that way. I don't have a reason, but I just <laughs> know I have to do it. So when I went to go study the method acting uh, for five weeks, so when, to, when I went to the five week program, all I did was transfer from the St. Charles store to the Manha one of the Manhattan stores. So I already had a job oh, that's when great. I got to New York City. And all I need to do is find a place to live. And of course, I was pillow to post for three months. I was on floors. I was like and did you, did at you people's work houses. At the Houston's there I for did. the whole five years? I did. Yes, sir. That's so awesome. I did seven years of in seven years in the service industry. What was what was it like mm -hmm. in New York, like as an actor Ooh. pounding the pavement? So I did tons of cattle calls. I did a lot of background singings. That's when I read uh, a lot of background singing. That's when I really kind of came into my own with my voice. Um, I sang with a recording artist named Mindia Davenport. She was with the um, brand new heavies. I did a little touring with her. 
I did lots of auditions, lots of off, 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 off Broadway projects. Um, and just kind of like was in the thick of it. Yeah. You know, uh, boots to the ground, sort of like frontlining it. You know what I mean? Like figuring it out. Um, and also figuring out my own soul. You know what I mean? Like when you're in your 20s, you, you're so desperate. You're so like, ah, oh, life. And it's just like, I wish I could say to my 20-year-old self or, or my myself in my 20s, like, girl, you got it made chill i know it's hard the city is hard as hell but you got it yeah you know yeah like even getting your groceries it's like am i gonna have milk this week or orange juice because i got a five floor walk up and i gotta walk five blocks from the train so <laughs> what are we gonna do it's like balance it's a balancing act you know right yeah it was and i had rats in my apartment like oh it was the worst but it was also the most alive <laughs> it, i had ever experienced well you know? i guess you know if things got mm -hmm. really desperate you'd always have uh, food yeah <laughs> right I do. Right. yeah absolutely yeah. I could always like eat at the restaurant and I did quite a bit you know yeah, yeah. or rats or that's terrible <laughs> I didn't get where you were getting at because I don't think my brain wanted to get that but now I get it and that is terrible so what so <laughs> what happens where's New York take you um so then Katrina happens and um that sort of it didn't sort of it devastated everybody um, and you're from the east, so that's yeah, we had nine feet of water. I so when I left from graduating from UL, going to the program in New York for the five weeks, I left with two suitcases because naturally, I didn't know what my life was going to be. Yeah, I didn't know New York was going to turn into five years, so everything was home. Um, and I learned a valuable lesson about material goods. Like when we first found out, we got like nine. I think we got between like seven and nine feet of water. Um, and when we found that out, that we lost everything, I was so heartbroken, but it really put things into perspective because three days later we found out my grandfather passed and we didn't know if we were going to be able to find his body. Oh my so God. everything just perspective just changed. You know what I mean? Yeah. We did find his body, by the way. And we, um, we, we got to bury him. We all met in Mississippi. We had to bury him in Mississippi and then we had him exhumed and then we put him with my grandmother, my late grandmother when she passed. So they're together, which um, oh. which is what they really wanted. Um, Katrina just kind of like hit the stop pause button on everything. Um, and I was going back and forth to and from New Orleans. I mean, excuse me, to and from Lafayette because my folks ended up landing in Lafayette, Louisiana. Oh, okay, that's where they after evacuated. all of that. Yeah, they evacuated to Memphis, Tennessee. And then um, three weeks, three weeks later, my mom was like, Mo, we got to My father's name is Mo. We got to find a place. We got to get back to Louisiana. We got to get close. What's your mom's name? Yolanda. Yolanda. And yeah. Mo. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. No, no, shout out. Shout out. They're, they're the best. They're classic. Um, I think I read somewhere because I did some a little research, mm -hmm. even though I know you. That uh, mm. the only thing that survived for you is your diploma. That's right. And it's framed in your parents' uh, new house. That's right. I still have it. I have a people. They think it is such a crazy thought um, that I actually have a picture on my person. I, I keep it on my phone to show them. And the story behind that is this was like the fourth or fifth visit to New Orleans and Lafayette. We'll call them both um, uh, after Katrina hit. This is at least six, seven months. And I was staying in front of my childhood home. And it was going to sound crazy, but everybody go with me. Something said, go to the right side of the house. So I went to the right side of the house. And there was a bin, a purple bin that was turned on its side. It had rained earlier that day. So all of the mold and stuff was like reawakened and gross and everything was soggy. 
Um, but it was Ugh. sitting there because when the gu- the house got gutted, this particular bin, for whatever particular reasons, was thrown out of my childhood um, window, my childhood room window. And it was like it was like the fates left it there for me to find months and months later. So I opened it up and I'm like, oh, my God, mom, it's my bin from college. And it was my bin from undergrad when I packed up my apartment and left Lafayette and graduated. And so I had highlighter pens and Neil Simon plays and like, <laughs> like all kinds of like A monologue book, monologue book. Like there was like four monologue books and like all kinds of like crazy knickknack, you know, things from my, you know, undergrad years. And then I saw this manila envelope and I started peeling it back with a stick. And sure enough, I pulled it out and it was my diploma on the placard on the plaque. And then I just literally pulled it right off and I still have the degree. And my mom was like, we can just get a new one, leave this. And I was like, absolutely no. not. No, that, I know. How awesome. does your mind work? I mean, do you take that as a sign? Like, absolutely. you know, we, mm-hmm. um, we did not lose much in Katrina, and we, mm-hmm. but we saw and heard stories of people did like you. And mm-hmm. this is what you have to move forward with. Do you think? Do you think that that, I mean, is that how your mind works? It, absolutely. I believe in signs. I believe in spirit guides. You know, I'm a practicing Catholic. I grew up a Catholic. If you're from New Orleans, you're usually a Catholic. You know what I mean? But, and, you know, we can get into that whole discussion. But I do believe in positive energies and forces like guiding you throughout your life. I, I know it to some, it might be ridiculous. It's not to me. Because there's been, you know oh, why, totally hun? Yeah. You know why? Because there's just been too many things that are impossible that have happened like this is incredible like how what are the odds there's like the percentages on the odds of this happening that been sitting there months not like a couple of weeks like six months later for me to find and so sure enough the moment i peeled my diploma off there i was like okay it's time and that's when i went to apply for grad school and i got into amazing schools i got a full ride at ut austin I got into uh, also a full ride at U- University of Nebraska. Um, uh, where else did I? Um, callbacks at Rutgers and Yale. Um, I got into Harvard, uh, the ART program at Harvard. And I got into CalArts, California Institute of the Arts. Nice. And again, I just knew I was supposed to go to CalArts. I just knew it. It was that simple. Like, you didn't have, like, the big, like, white H from Harvard, like, hanging over your head, like, (laughs) I'm supposed to go to Harvard? Let me tell you something. I struggled. Yeah, they call it the the Yale of the West. But um, I struggled because I got into CalArts first. Um, I'll never forget opening up my acceptance letter. It was a pivotal moment. Um, But then a week later, um, the head of the department, I can't remember his name, over at Harvard was like, look, we really, because they waitlisted me. And they were like, look, we only have 12 spots. We're going to make a 13th for you. We love you. We want you to be a part of this program, yada, yada. And I was like, okay, can I just have a week to think about this? And I, for a week, I mowed it over and just about every single person in my life was like, you're crazy. You have to go to Harvard. You have to go to Harvard University. You're out of your mind. And I was like, no, I got to do what my spirit says. And my spirit says, go to CalArts. So I went to CalArts and I'm that girl that turned Harvard down. (laughs) I legit was like, thank you all so much, but I'm going to have to pass. Anyone, <laughs> anyone we would uh, know that was in your class? No, I don't even remember. I didn't keep track. Like once I let it go, I let it go. At CalArts. Oh, oh, at CalArts. I thought yeah. you meant at Harvard. I was like, I didn't, I don't even remember those people that I would have gone into the program with. CalArts, yeah, I'm still in touch with all my people. Anybody famous? 
I mean, I mean, um, famous is so. You know what I mean. Yeah, Anybody a working actor? Yeah, I will tell you there are a ton of working actors at CalArts. Um, Brisha Webb is one. Condola Rashad, who is um, Felicia Rashad's daughter. Condola has been nominated for about eighteen thousand Tonys. Um, nice. She's always uh, doing some fabulous, fantastic show on Broadway. She just. I think last year finished up. She's on something crazy new now. And also she's on Billions on Showtime. But she also was in um, Romeo and Juliet with Orlando Bloom, which went over extremely well. Um, tons of people that I'm escaping right now. That's okay. You know, uh, Ed Harris graduated from CalArts as well as Don Cheadle. Right. So, yeah. And I Good went company. to school with a lot of, like, celebrity kids. Celebrities children yeah yeah which was interesting because i was so broke and was so like <laughs> and they're not, not that <laughs> you know what i mean and i'm i love i love my people from cal arts like i'm a big cal arts fan i well, love i, I think, loved my time there i think you know outside of the the great education you're getting there like going to a school like that or harvard mm -hmm. i always say like the the main thing you're gaining is like a great network of mm -hmm. people that Absolutely. you're there with, you know, and just being surrounded by these other actors who are working now and yeah. maybe children of celebrities who are going to be celebrities themselves one day. I don't know. Yeah. You're in you're in their world and they know how talented you are and we know how talented you Thank are. Thank you. Thank you. And they were and everybody was cool at CalArts. Everybody was chill and a little high. And like, you know, we all did like, you know, experimental. A little high? Yeah. Like uh, it was like the little hippie school on the hill. You know, I mean, I didn't partake in like, you know what I mean? I was super. I know it seems crazy, but I was so focused because when I started CalArts, I was 27 years old. I was like probably the second oldest in my class. Everybody was younger. And it was so much money, Ryan. It was like the type of debt a doctor would have. Oh, and so sure. all I could think was, y'all going to sign me up for everything I asked for. I want to take basket weaving. I want to take African <laughs> dance. I want to be in English lit classes. Where's your film department? Let's go to animation. I wanted to, I wanted my hands in everything. And that's exactly what I did. I literally carried 21 hours every single semester. Was that a two year or four year? It was a three year program. Three. I probably finished earlier because I was just working so much. Nice. I literally, and I'm going to tell you something fundamentally that having a schedule like that at CalArts did for me. So day would start at like eight because your first class is like 9.15 or whatever. And then you would have like a lunch break and then like a two hour break between dinner and rehearsal. Rehearsal would be from like six to 11. So I wouldn't be home in bed before like midnight a lot of the time. That is exactly how it is on set. Mm -hmm. I do not work for less than 12 hours every time I go to set. So it's like, that prepped me that sort of brain chemistry and like hardwiring to just think you are going to work from this hour to this hour and you are going to make it through. Like, I feel like prepped me for the professional world. And then, know? so then how did you break into film? Um, TV. Well, just to clarify, was, was CalArts a theater program or film or both? It, it is. They have a film program. Um, they We merged in the last semester, more or less, but I my concentration was theater. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I did some main stage stuff and I did some stuff at um, some really great projects at the Roy and Edna Disney CalArts Theater, which is the acronym is Red Cat, which is a big theater downtown, which was like a big deal for me. It was a goal. Like as a student, I wanted to perform at Red Cat. 
And so, and I like even last summer, I directed my first piece there, which was really cool. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been getting into directing, which I absolutely have fallen in love with. But that's a whole other I left topic. Left out of the intro. Yeah, no, no, no. It's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, no. CalArts was amazing. I I soaked it up. I got every single possible thing I could get out of that program. And uh, the thing that they teach you is be your own artist. Go do you. Don't let anyone put you in a, a specific lane. Don't any, let anyone tell you who or what you are. Go find out. And so with that, I was able to really like make my schedule the way I wanted to. A lot of folks that came out of college did not feel happy. They felt like I didn't get this or I didn't get enough of that or I didn't, you know, and I don't mean to make them sound whiny. How they felt is real and it's honorable. I get it. That's just not how I approached. I was like, what else can we learn? What else can I do? You know, so. It's a good attitude to have because that's, I mean, that's what's going to get you through in this long ass career that you've chosen to do right and then yeah. you you came back to the new orleans after cal arts and started pursuing some films with one goal i had one single goal upon graduation I, I felt like again like in 2002 when i was graduating and was like what do i do now and then i moved to new york that moment i had that moment again at 30 and i was like oh my god what do i do now but i actually have a goal in mind and i gotta go do it all i wanted to do was be on treme that is it i wanted to I felt in my heart, it was, I was really torn. Do I stay in LA? They're not going to know what to do with this black curvy girl who looks like of mixed cultures and races, races. What are, what are they going to do with me? I'm going to have to tell them what to do with me, but first I got to get a resume. So let me go to a smaller pond. And it was a big risk coming back home. Like there's old residual behavioral patterns and partying and like food and like old relationships. And it was a <laughs> risk, you know what I mean? But I yeah. knew I had to take it. And I had that one goal in mind, which was, to be on HBO's Treme. I was like, they are not going to make a show about my city post Katrina and I'm not on it. I'm going to be on it. And sure enough, like six months later, I got cast through um, Megan Lewis with RPM Casting. And I had... Shout out. Shout out. You heard that. That's Megan. my girl. I got to give a shout out. She's responsible for so many um, um, titles on my resume. And so are you, Ryan. Like, And also Liz. Like, you guys... I don't know that people understand what you guys do locally, like as casting directors and forget the word local. Everybody likes to such a negative. It's a BS thing, man. It makes me angry. And I'm a, I don't think it's negative. I've well, never. no, there are people around the country who mm -hmm. aren't local, who, mm -hmm. who it's always the, <laughs> but it's the butt of the, the joke in the movie. I guess we'll get a, a local actor for the role. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't respect that logic or that way of thinking. I think that the people that are local quote unquote uh, actors are phenomenal. And a lot of the times just as good, if not better than the LA folks or the New York folks, that's not to discredit or disrespect anyone. And I think the same thing is applicable to our casting directors. Well, I what, think, you do, what you guys do is special. I'm I, sorry. I is. think that our local pool mm -hmm. is really strong yeah in this region like in, i'm including atlanta mm -hmm. and Texas. me too mm -hmm. um i've had the opportunity to work in other regional areas that aren't as strong mm -hmm. so i can see like you see the stigma i could see the stigma mm -hmm. of like you know someone going to a town that hasn't had like such an insurgence of uh of work Mm -hmm. to build a, a pool of people. 
um, where they're not as thrilled with the local talent pool. But I would say that our region is on par with, I mean, we're casting some pretty major like guest star roles and well you yeah know, i mean and look, yeah. At, and look at the i mean some really huge movies and yeah. tv projects won mm-hmm. tons of awards and the local cast contribute to that Absolutely. in a major way i mean if you look at something like 12 years a slave i mean it's mm-hmm. really incredible yeah yeah so amen for the local actor absolutely yeah. shout out to the local actors um no, no shame in being local and I'm, I'm telling you i, I, I <laughs> Something interesting happens to me whenever I get on a local hire set. And that is, it's not to suggest that anyone is disrespectful to me because they're not. But I do sense a difference. They treat you differently? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Whether they want to or not. It's a it's a, 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 a switch in their brain. Oh, she's just a local hire. I'm not saying that for my current project. I'm just saying in the past, I've absolutely experienced this. And you want to know when they shift, Ryan? They shift when I say, um, they're like, oh, so you're from New Orleans. I'm like, yeah, but I, um, I went to school in California. I went to CalArts. The moment I say CalArts, everything shifts. Like, oh, oh, you went to CalArts. And it's like, yeah, I did. But my next thought in my brain is, but why didn't you treat me like I went to CalArts before you before yeah. you knew I went to CalArts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that makes me think, how are you or how are these folks treating other people who, you know what I mean, don't have like a graduate degree? And what does that even mean? It means something to me, but it doesn't have to mean, you know what I'm saying? Like just because a, folk, a person didn't go to grad school as an actor or to study acting does not mean they have any less chops than I do, you know? And I feel like, you should be treated accordingly. You should be treated as well as, you know, and I'm, I look, I'm, I'm not remiss. I get the hierarchy, the hierarchy of things. I get the sort of leveling of things. I understand the trickle down effect. I understand your lane and staying in it. But it's really hard to have left the local pool, if you will, um, and moved to L.A. and experienced certain things and shot work out there. And had experiences. And then come back. And then come back. Yeah. It's hard to unlearn that. It's hard to <laughs> unsee X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And then I'm an outspoke, outspoken individual. I'm going to say how I feel. You know what <laughs> I mean? So it's like, I don't know. It's just, um. anyway, we could talk about that. Okay. So uh, so time. you get on Treme. Yeah. And so, then well, that, I want to know how you got on Treme. Like, how did you, like, how do you come from California? Because this is what people want to know when they listen to mm-hmm. this podcast. Sure. How do you come back to New Orleans, find an agent, get connected with Megan, who becomes really important to your career? Or like, how do you make did all you this have happen? an agent to, no. to get that audition? Oh, no. So, well, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry. So, I graduated and then I came directly here and I had an office job. I was an office manager. So, I could kind of try to make ends meet till I found a place to live. Um, because remember, my folks live in Lafayette now, which is two hours west. Mm. So I ended up staying with one of my best friends, Susan Henry. And um, yeah, that's my girl. She's like, y'all, she runs lines with me. She like is so supportive. She helped me pick out my outfit for today's audition with you guys. You know what I mean? Like she she has been. We helped Dana tape a couple of auditions. Yes. So for some for, LA stuff. for not a local market. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like a snob She's now. I don't lo- mean to. Local hire to Canada or something. <laughs> Exactly. Vancouver. Here we come. Um, So, uh, yeah, no, I was staying with her and then I found, oh, I had a mentor tell me if you are not working 
you need to be in class. And if you are not in class, it's because you are working. And so that stuck with me. So the first thing I did when I got to New Orleans was, where's the... Where's the um, acting classes? Who can I go to? What part of what class can I be in? And so I joined a class um, which had a sort of connected um, agency at the time. And it was a real kind of like put together situation. And that's a very polite way of saying it. It wasn't like a great situation. It was not a great agency or the way that they were going about their contracts, but that's putting business out there. That's old news. It's, it's, we got past it. It's fine, but neither here nor there. They submitted me quite a bit to you guys, to different casting directors. And the first thing I ever booked was, um, with Liz Coulon from the rough. It was a Taraji P Henson film directed by Pierre Bagley and it came out years later, but that's what Taft Heart lead me into the union. That was my very first job. And I played a cafeteria worker, it was like under five. And I was just too happy. I have a picture in my little honey wagon trailer that day. And I always go back to that picture because it's like, yeah, we started from the bottom, now we're here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I think about how like what I've where I've come from because on the day to day, on the micro, it's really, really hard. It's soul wrenching and it's like hard to be in L.A. and it's like hard to be broke or like as the expression goes, you're feasting or you're 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 famine. And it's 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 hard. It's when you're not working, it's really, really it plays on your psyche. Yeah, especially and, you if know? you are a working actor, you mm-hmm. know, or you're doing guest star yeah. work uh, or co-star work or whatever. And it's, you know. You, you, I'm sure you get to a point where you don't want to have to go like cater or oh, man. Like, do another gig. Yeah, you know, hoping that the residuals will come in and like carry yeah. you to the next, the next and gig. It, I mean, and it's, it's not like, beneath it's, me. I, if I gotta go wait tables or go get a teaching position or sub or Uber or whatever, I'm gonna do it. I'm, I am all about hard work. That's the kind of family I come from. We are, I've been working since I was 14 years old. I had to get a work permit to work. You know what I mean? So I, it's not beneath me. It's just when you set a goal and my goal, when I started working sort of full time as an actor here locally, I quit that office position and I said to myself, we are not looking back. We are not getting a day job. You you are an actor, you are an artist, and that's what you're going to do. And it was just, it's been so hard, Ryan, to keep to that goal. But we're doing it. You know what I mean? So the point I was making is, on the micro, it's really hard. But the macro, when you go back to these moments, like your very first gig, or like this movement, or like this show, you, oh, and then, you then it's like I add to my list now, I've written and directed my first short film. You know, it's like there's progress. It's just hard when you're like you know what i mean in yeah. the thick of it to get above it to see what the progress has been you know would you say that so you, i mean you did you've done a ton of pro i think i saw like 40 credits or something <laughs> that on your imdb um would you say that getting to the point where you worked with quentin tarantino was kind of a turning point for your career you know what's so funny um I thought it was going to be yes to answer your short answer is yes. Long answer is um, my ego had it was like the lesson of lessons after I shot Django and chained and befriended Leonardo DiCaprio and Sam Jackson's now my mentor like Sam and I still keep in touch It's my homeboy and I'm very close to his daughter um, Zoe all these people now are in the mix you know what I mean like I've spent three months with them 
there's a level of sort of um, thought process where you feel like you might have arrived. Mm -hmm. And it was the most valuable lesson I've ever experienced because I did not arrive. I still was working really hard. I still had to figure things out. I still had to pay these bills, you know, and all that kind of money to, to, to make that kind of money in such a short period of time. You're like, oh, something else is like this is coming along. Not necessarily. And the most important lesson I learned is that I do not ever for my life want to feel like I have arrived. I want to always feel like, all right, what's next? What's the next hustle? What's the next project? What's the next idea? I want to be like 85 still learning stuff. I want to be 90 still learning stuff. You know what I mean? And it's just, that was a pivotal moment to have a coming to Jesus with yourself, if you will, and literally getting that ego quickly in check. Do not buy into this L.A. Hollywood people celebrity fame thing. It is not real. I think this is, is a really absolutely important. not real. I think this is a really important like rite of passage for mm -hmm. an actor that everyone has to recognize because we talk to a lot of actors and you hear it a lot. Like, oh, I just booked this. I just shot this pilot. And then we're creative people. Your brain just starts to build your future, mm -hmm. and it doesn't happen. And and I think and I, I don't think it's just us. Is like, um, well, I I'd probably elevate you to what I do, but um, above what I do. But even like we hear about celebrities, like I mean, you like Brian says, you always want more, and mm -hmm. nothing's ever gonna be good enough. But whenever we look at these little moments that you think are gonna change your life, mm -hmm. less more frequently than not, they're not going to. And that's why you need to focus on absolutely. Well, it's, and it's being still it a did. job. You it, know, yeah. it's still... it did change things. It did like it opened a huge door for me. Like I, yeah. I can't tell you the amount of titles I got. I, I got into so many rooms just because people wanted to ask me questions it wouldn't even about be about the work i get callbacks sometimes because they'd want to sit with me and say so what was it like working with tarantino you know what i mean so to to i to ignore that or pretend like django and chain didn't open all of the doors for me not all of the doors but lots of doors for me it would be uh, irresponsible i think uh, it absolutely did like I said, the short answer is absolutely yes, but there was something else personal going on where I had to kind of check myself and remind myself, you do not have it. It is not made. You still have to work so much harder than everyone else. In Hollywood, there's already three strikes against me. You know what I mean? I'm a woman, I'm black, and I'm plus. I already have to work 87 million times harder than everybody else. You know what I mean? So I think for a nanosecond, I kind of like thought I could sit back a little bit but I very quickly you know picked up the cues and realized no 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 you have to like work equally as hard if not harder you know but wow. yeah to answer your question of course like yeah yeah people just want to know like what was it like what is Leo like and all right so what was you know? it like <laughs> what's Quentin Tarantino like as a director but first of all I love him so much I know there's a lot of controversy that surrounds Quentin generally but it doesn't matter how you feel about him personally. The man will go down as one of the greatest directors of our generation, of our time, whether you like his work or not. That's just facts. Um, he is far beyond, I believe. Um, his artist's brain is just so exceptional. The man is literally a walking, talking encyclopedia of film yeah you know yeah he's google for films you know what i'm saying <laughs> literally and in specific genres and you know he likes what he likes you know working with him was incredible it was um harrowing like i mentioned to you when we hadn't started the podcast you know because you just have this 
crazy desire and drive to do it right, to do exactly what he's asking of you. Um, because he will let you know if you are not, you know, which was scary sometimes. It's like I mentioned to you earlier, it's it's a pressure unlike I've ever experienced. Um, and leaving his sets and working with other directors, and this is no disrespect to the other directors, it sometimes feels like a cakewalk. It's never a cakewalk. It's always complicated because you get in your head and you're nervous and you got all these things to do and continuity and there's a, ma a million things going on in your brain. Get your lines right. You don't want to be the weak, weak link. That's all you stuff, right? But as it relates to the director-actor relationship, you know, outside of quitting, outside of working with him, it's been so, you know, chill. Folks are not, he's a very intense person. And he likes what he likes and he wants it extremely specific, what he's asking of you. And then also he's like a big teddy bear. It's like this weird dichotomy lives inside of him of like the strict director and like a papa bear like, type. Like does he give you line readings? Is that kind of specific? <sighs> no, he doesn't give line readings per se. But like, honey, you place this down like this. I need it like that. Oh. And right now, guys, you can't see, but I've placed my cell phone and then I shifted it an inch over. Yeah. So like and, and marry that. Marry the body language. I'll never forget my first day on Hateful Eight. He wrote the part for me, which was incredible. I was very excited to be a part of the film. Kurt Russell um, getting to hang out with Sam again. Walton Goggins, you know, SL, SLJ, Sarah. Um, the I, flu. Yeah. Oh. You had the flu. Oh my God. Ryan and y'all, it took me years <laughs> to get back in Ryan's good graces. I was so upset because we had one more episode to shoot on Astronaut Wives Club. And it I was there. I, my my call was 1230 a.m. I was in hair and makeup and out of hair and makeup by 1:30 a.m. and ready to shoot to go up to set by 2 a.m. And at 2.15, they were like, yeah, we're canceling your scene. We're going to uh. do it another time. And I said, guys, I'm in town for one more week. So if y'all can get this popping off in one more week, because I had to go shoot Hateful Eight. Yeah. And then they flew me up to 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 um, start shooting Hateful Eight, and they were, shooting every, they were sh flying everyone up an hour, I mean, excuse me, a week before because the altitude was really messing with people. And I've gotten altitude sickness before, so I was like mentally ready for it. And I got there, and sure enough, I got the most horrible sinus infection combined with altitude sickness, and I was legit down for the count. They had to send nurses to my room. <sighs> they had to send, like my agency at the time sent a gift basket with like medicine yeah and stuff. i had like something that never happens for a local <laughs> quote-unquote local actor <laughs> is i had producers like calling each other and like flights being arranged yeah. for dana and, it was like, crazy yeah. i couldn't do it i just couldn't yeah. i literally couldn't lift my head off the pillow that's a true story yeah I but i brought you. i brought ryan a nice bottle of wine and wrote a nice card and was like i was so sorry pretty sure so. justin drank that then yes uh, <laughs> i'm just kidding um that's awesome yeah that, that we got through it we did we got through it yeah, Hateful was cool. It was amazing. I'll never forget, though, the first day I worked, I had done all this research. I had a thick binder of all my notes and my sticky tabs, and I had I was playing a real gruff. And our first take of me shooting anything on the film, my first take, Quentin yells cut, and he pulls me over in a corner in front of everyone, in front of everyone, everyone, the entire cast, crew, and everybody. And he puts his arm around me and our backs are to everyone and we're standing in a corner and we're talking. And he says, honey, you are not playing her the way I wrote her. 
you're not playing her the way I envisioned her. And I was like, okay. And he was just like, she is way nicer than this. I don't know what's going on, but I need you to figure it out. Like to try it again. And it was one of those moments where it's like my brain went compute a plus B equals C formula equals. It's like, I felt like I had that moment in, um, I just got like, I was about to cry. Yeah, it was, it was (laughs) like, it was so crazy intense, but I had no time to be emotional about it. I, in that nanosecond had to make a decision. And so I was like, think, compute, think, think, dig, find something. What, what is he asking for? He said the word, she's nicer than you're playing. She's too rough. What? And then I yelled out friendly. And he was across the room and he turned around. He said, that's it, baby. Friendly. And I was like, "Okay, I needed like a word. I needed an adverb, an adjective, an action verb. I needed something to just try to do it differently. And then he said, that's it, baby. Friendly. And then he said, roll sound. And then we went right into the scene and I played her friendly and And that's what that's what kicked it in and you like, Yeah, like and at the end of it he was, he came and hugged me tight and he was like, Good job, baby. Oh, you wow. know what I mean? So and your I, character was like born from that one word. Yeah. In a in in that moment at the very least. Crazy. The way she was described, it was actual words he put in the script, um, descriptive words one of them was cantankerous. She was a gruff person in my mind. Mm. She like she would lay frying pans up people's heads. So I thought play her like you have done the dissecting work to play her. There's nothing more you there's there's nothing more telling about your character than what the other characters in the script are saying about your character or so I thought. Cuz at the end of the day it doesn't matter what kind of research you do or what kind of decisions you make about your character. If your director needs x y and z from you, you need to give him x y and z. You know, so I just it was that was a crazy <laughs> that was a crazy moment. I was like, I'm about to lose my job today if I don't figure this out. <laughs> oh, we could have had you on the last episode. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so, so so what's life like now? Life is good. L.A. I'm, I'm adapting. Um, I've shot some really great stuff out there. I got to work with the Duplass brothers on Togetherness. I saw it. I'm I obsessed love that with show. them. Yeah, I Aren't love them. Yeah, they're wonderful. Mark Romy, Jay's amazing. Mark put me in a Lyft commercial. Nice. Yeah, it was fantastic. And he also wrote me a letter of recommendation into some directing programs that I was interested in. He also gave me feedback on my short film. Like, oh, Tell us about the short film. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I wrote and directed this piece, and it was born out of a really tremendous heartbreak. Um, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I was super, super heartbroken. Um, and so I just was like, my hands, I need to, they need to be busy. And so a dear friend of mine was like, didn't you always say you wanted to direct? There's a program called um, uh, With Film Independent. You can go and be one of eight directing students and shadow like directors in the industry, you know, and it's, you know, free. It's taken care of. You should apply. And the application process requested a piece of your work a sample and I was winds out of my sales so defeated I was like I don't have a sample and she was like well just shoot one and I was like huh (laughs) okay I went home that evening in two hours I wrote an eight page eight page short which would turn into the first draft of my short film um and we shot it on Canon C3000s um, think I'm sorry, Kenneth C300. I'm messing that up. I think <laughs> I had a great DP. Everybody donated the time. I, you know, did interviews for producers. Um, you know, I uh, put up the money myself. 
Um, and I wrote the piece around natural lighting. So I didn't need, need to work a, are worry you, about. Are you in it as well? I am. I stuck myself in at the last minute because I was afraid I was not going to have enough hours or clear the money that you're supposed to make for your SAG medical insurance. So nice. my right nice. there you go. You gotta you gotta find a trick to the trade. <laughs> so Robert, you I need to do that. Yeah. I stuck my yeah. I stuck <laughs> myself in my short because those hours at least count. And we got the SAG signatory on the short. So it all it all counted towards, you know, keeping my medical your insurance. And yeah. And then I was just gonna edit it out and then I screened it with the um I screened the um actual clip uh, that I was in separately um, because the audience, I, I did a screening after it was all said and done and I asked for the audience's feedback, but my producer slick. She said she always wanted me to put my scene in the film and I was like, no, no, cause you know why I didn't want to put it in. It's so stupid. I was body conscious. I didn't like the way the frame cut me and I felt like I looked ridiculous and it was all in my head. And she tried to tell me, Tana, I think this is all in your head. And sure enough, she was slick because at the screening, we did a Q&A and she said, so you had a Hitchcock Tarantino moment where you put yourself in your film. Why did you cut it out? And I was like, oh, you could. <laughs> and I said, because I got body conscious, but I'm happy to screen it for you guys tonight. I love your feedback. It ended up being like a really important, crucial moment in the short and ended up re-editing it and also resubmitting it and all this stuff. So, yeah, I didn't get any of the programs, but I don't think I was supposed to. You never do in the first time, apparently, in the directing world. However... We got into the Los Angeles Women's International Film Festival, Sweet. which is kind of unheard of for a first time filmmaker. Has that happened already? Yeah, it happened last April. Now, and we had the screening. Is there. the film anywhere where people can see or no? Um, it's still a password protected <laughs> link, but I do need to put it. Um, I'm happy to anyone who reaches out to me and wants to see my film, you know, hit me on the social medias, send me an email. I'm happy to share it. I just haven't made it public yet because I still want to submit it some places. Awesome. Um, and some, and at the time we were submitting it to different film festivals. Sweet. So yeah, I'm right. super proud of it. Well, um, if you have any questions for me or us that you want to ask, you can. No pressure to do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, sometimes on this podcast, we flip the pages where you ask, the guest asks the interviewer questions. I do have a question for you. Okay, go ahead. How different is it? So our process is where we submit, we are submitted to you or you request us. Mm -hmm. And then we learn lines and we go in to your office for an audition and then we know that process what is the process for you um for pro procuring work like how does it work for you oh luck <laughs> a lot of luck i believe it um and good skills you got fantastic gosh skills. that's a good that's a really good question mm -hmm. um I, you know in the beginning of my casting career mm -hmm. i i just i was in a place where there weren't a lot of us mm. and so um it and i did i did extras casting as well so a lot of times with those jobs what would happen is uh if i had done a film and usually it was films back mm -hmm. back in the day it wasn't a lot of television um when another production would come in they would get the crew list from the previous production that maybe used that that office mm and start going through the crew list to try and like interview or just hire crew. Mm -hmm. um, so in in my early days, I would I would just get 
calls. I never, ever pursued any casting jobs. Did I ever pursue any casting jobs, Robert? No, and to be specific, this was like post-Katrina, the Shreveport Shreveport. market. Uh, There weren't a lot of people there. So the, the crew base was the crew base mm-hmm. so right and it was like hopping there were like in that five yeah. years there was like 80 projects yeah mm-hmm. i mean there was a year where i did 16 films you mm-hmm. know and it was uh, all film work yeah all film work so so now um what happens is i you know i think you know there are more casting directors in in our region yeah um and we can all work uh not just in new orleans we can work we can do Atlanta jobs. We can do mm-hmm. Mississippi or you're you currently know, working in San Francisco. I, I have a show in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Um, we get, you know, they'll interview everyone mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's, it's normally, uh, if I hear about a project and I haven't been contacted to, to be interviewed, I, and I'm interested in it, I'll, I will try and research who the uh, you know line producer is or mm-hmm. what studio it is, and mm-hmm. co- if I know any of the executives uh, in the casting department there, I'll reach out and say, "Hey, you know, I'm available for this series or this movie. If if you guys can recommend me yeah, or sure. get me an interview with the producers that are on the ground." Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like like for Astronaut Wives Club, um, I had done some some other television mm-hmm. before that, but that was really the first like real series that I did where mm-hmm. it wasn't just like like I did True Blood and I did Sorted Lives before that. Mm-hmm. Sorted Lives was shot like a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, we had all the scripts and it was scheduled like a movie. Like some some days they shot like seven episodes, you know, scenes mm-hmm. from seven episodes in one day. Wow. You know? Um, and because it was the same director, writer, um, and it was like really fast. Uh, and True Blood was like a second unit thing, Mm -hmm. you know. Whereas I have a great credit on it, Mm -hmm. it's like they would come down for like two months and shoot all the exterior stuff. Mm. Um, so it wasn't really like the full process of working in television, you know, where you're getting all these approvals from different executives and all that stuff. Um, so astronaut wives club i went on an interview mm-hmm. you know i um i i had uh i had seen things kind of slow down for me a little bit like the summer before that it was like or like that year that first half of the year it was like kind of brutal mm-hmm. you know like i was doing like the crappiest some of the crappiest <laughs> stuff you know like i was like what the frick am i doing and uh and Robert was like, you need to go to Los Angeles, you mm. know, and just like go meet with people. Nice. And I did that. I, um, good call. I took a week and I rented a car and stayed with my old roommate. And, um, I reached out to like two contacts who got me meetings at every studio. Wow. In television, which wow. I hadn't worked in television. I had just been doing all these movies, right? Sure. And uh, it was like all the TV casting execs met with me, like individually. I was like one day I was at Fox, then I would go to ABC mm. and then, you know, and it was like, this is awesome, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met with everybody. And sure enough, that's how I got 
astronaut wives club That's awesome. they called me like immediately they're like hey we have a show coming um it was like a month later you're welcome yeah thanks robert <laughs> and, and Thank i met, you I well. met Thank with you. <laughs> uh i met with the showrunner and mm. the producers and and uh i was doing a movie at the time you know I, it was just a good interview like usually when i get to to actually interview with the producers mm-hmm. you know because i think a lot of times they'll come in and they'll be like oh, uh, that person did this project, let's just hire them, you mm-hmm. know, casting-wise. But if they actually go through the process of interviewing, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited about the show, and I actually, you know, have ideas, then I can usually, like, sell myself. Not that I'm selling something, I... I no, I get it. You know. Yeah. I don't know. The, the salesman actor in me comes out <laughs> the words hustle I the hustler it. in me comes yeah. out yeah. i love that yeah. i love that you you know had the wherewithal to yeah you know, i need to go meet think, some people i think, I think that super was a big amazing yeah a big uh change for me because i i came from you know doing all these shows in shreveport mm-hmm. which thank you shreveport yeah. um, but coming back down to new orleans where before uh, before I went to Shreveport when I was working in New Orleans, I wasn't really in the same position. You know, mm. I worked for Liz mm. um, and went to Shreveport working for Liz, mm-hmm. and then you know stayed up there and and created my own thing. And then coming back here, I'm you know I'm suddenly in the fold of like Liz, Brent, Megan Lewis. You know yeah. who's got everything under the stars, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, Tracy Kilpatrick, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and then there are some other casting folks as well that come in and do things. Mm -hmm. And and the other piece to this puzzle that you didn't talk about is that over this, what is it, however long it's been, you've made genuine connections. They're casting directors you'll always work with. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I have. So if some L.A. casting directors who, Mm -hmm. you know, we we just work well together, you know, we know how like. like the LA casting on 13 reasons why mm-hmm. um, we've been doing three seasons so of that together. Wow. And, and before that we had done a ton of movies, mm-hmm. you know, together. And, and now it's like, you know, if someone were to call me and say, Hey, I'm looking for a recommendation for a, a casting director in LA. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would, yeah, like, I always well, you shoot that name. Yeah, yeah. I would shoot that name for sure. I get it. You know, mm-hmm. so we we uh, and Nepotism. and we have sort of a relationship. Uh, when you have a relationship with someone like that, it's like we just we text. You yeah, know, we talk to each sure. other. You know, where we like communicate our concerns about yeah. things on a project that like if some if I'm not able to find something where I am, I'll let them know. It's not like a secret. Yeah, you know, like we we work together, and yeah. not and not as separate. You know, it is. <laughs> it is. It's, it's relation. You know, my dad taught me at a very young age. You know, um, relationships are very important, and you can afford to burn no bridges in this life, dad, daughter. So, anyway. This is awesome. <laughs> I know it's been. I'm. I talked a lot, y'all. No, that's this is what great. what we I love. Talked a lot. Well, um, we've we've gone. We've gone the distance. The distance, and you're distance. And you still, are an awesome actor, and thank you. you know deserve everything that comes your way, and I hope it's thank more. You, um, so I want to thank 
producer engineer Jason Edwards. Thank you, Jason. Woo. And he's really cute, guys. Hey, I, I don't know if you're married out there or if oh. you're married in here, but he's super when we, when we cute. we do the promo for the show, I'm just going to use that. There you go. <laughs> and yeah. he's really cute, guys. <laughs> Uh, Robert mm. sitting in for Justin while Justin's on Yay. location doing 13 Reasons Why in San Francisco. Um, and then Dana Gloria. Yay. Actress mm. extraordinaire. Okay, our um, all of our social media stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. At Talk Like Normal, at Gloria So Casting, at Jason Edwards TV, at Full Grown Mouse, uh, Justin TC underscore underscore and then Dana is at Dana Gorier on Twitter and Instagram. Yep. Just check, my name. <laughs> oh, if you want to watch Dana's short film, what's it called? Uh, it's called Incompetence. Send her a message on uh, and Twitter I will, or something. Yeah. Or, um, or IG. Yeah. DM me on IG and I will send it to you. I'm happy. Gosh. Happy to. You're like a you're like a teenager. I know. I D- saw hey, it. DM me on IG. DM me on IG. Slip into those DMs. Just kidding, guys. Fax that to my pager. Oh, millennials, we love you all. All right, we're out. Peace. Talking like normal people is brought to you by mycastingfile.com. Create a searchable profile accessible by multiple casting directors who are casting major film, television, and commercial projects. Mycastingfile.com.